Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. I'm Sean, joined, as always, by my brother, Ian. We have our big guest coming your way, Chris Walder of the Walder Sportscast. But before we get to Chris, we have to announce the winner of our contest, giving away a signed, authentic Vince Carter 16 by 20 photo. We put the names and all the entries into a randomizer. We have a winner. Ian, please announce the winner from the contest. So the winner on Instagram is aris.mom16. My apologies if I pronounced that wrong, but you are the winner. Thank you so much for entering and for all of your support. And to everyone out there who didn't necessarily win, it's okay. Next month, we are going to be doing another contest, hopefully something uh, bigger and better as well. So be sure to continue to follow us along Instagram, Twitter, uh, subscribe and download the podcast. We'll be doing many more of these contests for you guys. We appreciate the support. Absolutely. We have three more. So two more coming, one in November, one in December. And that's all thanks to our sponsor, Homes by Stephen. Make sure if you're looking to buy, lease or sell, you check out at Homes by Stephen on Instagram or homesbystephen.ca. He's the man who sold me my house. Let him sell you yours. On to the podcast, Ian, enough of the plugs. Another big week, another big podcast, and a big returning guest. Ian, who do we have with us today? Welcome back to the host of the Walder Sportscast and Raptors Twitter legend, Chris Walder. Good to have you back. Thrilled you're here. I'd say some stuff has happened since we last spoke to you. Just a little bit. Yeah, the world is topsy-turvy. The president almost died. COVID-19 is still a thing and the NBA is over, unfortunately. What do we watch now? The Bachelorette? (laughs) Not this guy. (laughs) are you shocked it made it through the entire time? Because I think when we came, when we first spoke, it was very it was very early on. There was a lot of optimism, but this isn't the NFL. The NBA, you know, we have a lot of faith in them. You know, were you surprised it made it through, or did you have total confidence? Oh, if if you checked my uh, tweets prior to the season, I was very skeptical about this making through, just because you had seen cases popping up all over the country, and I didn't think that this bubble idea in Disney World was going to work, but. All the power to Adam Silver, the players, the personnel for making this go as smoothly as possible. I think other leagues, countries can look at this and say, hey, a job well done. No COVID cases. That was the bottom line. And they made it happen. So I I was certainly uh, made to look like an idiot because I was tweeting out that it was a bad idea to even get this restart off of the ground. But hey, I'm I'm 100% happy that it's come and gone. And uh, we'll see when the next season starts. Well, I, I, it's crazy to think of where we'd be if the NBA sort of ran the United States. Where would we be, you know, collectively re-COVID regarding, um, you know, issues in terms of social justice, voting rights, everything like that. Where would we be if the NBA and Adam Silver ran the United States? And anyone with half a brain could run the country better than the guy who's currently running it. <laughs> Very true. Get, don't get me started on American politics as a Canadian talking about all that stuff. But uh, yeah, it, if Adam Silver or hell, LeBron James had any semblance of power to run the country, uh, the U.S. would be a lot better off. So that aside, 
The Lakers that truth, won. That truth fact aside. That truth fact aside. The Lakers. <laughs> the, that truth fact aside. The Lakers won the title, Chris. They made it. We did see an ending. The Lakers made it all the way through to the end. And kind of like in hockey, this was uh, this was an event, an overall scene that was kind of put up to, for debate. We saw a lot of Mickey Mouse ring talk on Twitter, not from people educated that we respect, but obviously trolls on Twitter and even people in positions of power within the media that we shouldn't respect anyways. So before I get to that question, I want to pivot quickly. Do you count the Lakers having 17 titles or to you, do the five in Minnesota not count? The Lakers have 17 titles. I'm not going to get into semantics here and say, ah, it was in Minneapolis. The Lakers have 17 championships, fans, people in the media, everyone recognize it as, recognizes it as such. So why start now and just say, hey, yeah, it doesn't count. You know, let's let's take five off the tally. No, they have 17. So Ian, respond to the Mickey Mouse ring talk that's going on on Twitter right now. By the way, to all the particularly Celtics people that like to talk about how the, the titles aren't real, Chris is absolutely right. 17 is 17. Uh, in terms of the, in terms of the, you know, the Mickey Mouse asterisk stuff. I mean, those people are idiots. And what we're going to do is we're not going to listen to idiots here. So I don't even want to give it the time. I think, you know, for anyone to, for anyone to really understand what those athletes went through in their bubble being there for so long, I think it was what, over a hundred days. I mean, we can't imagine the type of mental fortitude that one needs to get through that period. And we're not even talking about the NBA staff and everyone that, that, that went into putting on such an event. So, you know, to all those people that made it happen, obviously, thank you. The product was amazing. But to anyone else out there who's saying it's not a real title, get a grip. I mean, as Zach, you know, Zach Lowe very eloquently says, this is a badge of honor. And to me, this is an exclamation point, not an asterisk. And you say Mickey Mouse title like it's a bad thing. And I say that I have a Mickey Mouse cup that I'm currently drinking water out of. So a nice segue there. But uh, <laughs> No, I, I said before this even started, whoever was going to win was going to absolutely deserve it. And anyone who says that there's an asterisk is kidding themselves. I mean, but you, you can make an argument every single year for every champion in the history of time right. that they deserve an asterisk based on circumstances or, or injuries or whatnot. But being in this bubble, no fans. It was basketball in its purest form. Mm-hmm. Best of seven, let the best team win. And the Los Angeles Lakers emerged at the end of it with the NBA championship. And I'm also seeing, you know, that the, the road to Larry OB wasn't as difficult or what was foreseen ahead of time. They didn't have to go against the Los Angeles Clippers, which was supposed to be this big marquee matchup, right. the Battle of Los Angeles. And then when they get to the finals, they get the fifth-seeded Heat team, which absolutely deserved to be there. But who knows what would have happened if, A, the Heat were healthy, or, B, had they gone up against you know a motivated Bucks team where Mike Budenholzer is playing Giannis more than 32 minutes a game, or even the reigning NBA champion Raptors at that point, or the Boston Celtics even. So... Kudos to the Los Angeles Lakers. They absolutely deserved it. You know, LeBron getting his fourth ring, Anthony Davis getting his first. I think we're going to look back at this and say, you know what? Considering everything that's going on in the world, being inside that bubble, this is going to. This was one of the most difficult championships ever achieved in basketball history. And it's not like the Phoenix Suns won, is my point, right? If the Phoenix Suns won, you'd have more people coming out of the rafters saying, well, it was a situation of circumstance. I think that this proves even more that the Lakers were the best team. The fact that they were able to be malleable in those situations and mold to this to this new and unique environment. We, we saw the Clippers couldn't do it. 
So, Mm -hmm. and that's why I brought up hockey was because I felt that Tampa in the same vein was able to mold and be, and grow as a team in that type of environment and just prove to them, to everyone that they were the best. This is my point. It's not like two random teams walked out of here with titles to everyone who who wants to put Mickey Mouse ring on it. These are two. And with the NBA specifically, the Lakers, an elite, elite team, probably the best team in the league that won the title in a very, very unique circumstance, in a very unique situation, something that hopefully we never see again. We probably we, we probably will see some form of this coming up with obviously this pandemic still going on. But again, shut up with this Mickey Mouse stuff and, and, and enough of that. So, um, Ian, I, I, why don't we dive into the actual finals as a whole? Did you have anything else you want to jump in with here? No, and I think... I- I don't even want to, like I said, I don't even want to talk to those people. <laughs> they don't, they're not worthy of our time. Um, I think, you know, we should get into what, what about this series? Do we notice? What did we jump? What jumped out to us? And I think one of the things that jumped out in game six was that the Lakers just put the clamps down and they said enough was enough. And I know Miami was hurt and not, not right, but they put the clamps down and they proved that, okay, we are the best team. We're leaving today with the chip. Um, other than that, did, did you notice anything else about this series? I mean, we can get into LeBron's unbelievable dominance. We can get into the Lakers defense. What do you think? Nothing surprised me from the Lakers point of view. I've spent years watching LeBron James destroy teams from the East, mainly my Toronto Raptors. So nothing he does anymore shocks me. Uh, and then Anthony Davis, he's kind of established himself as a top five player anyway. So when you have those two ingredients surrounded by a bunch of veterans motivated to win a championship, you know, mix it all together. I think the outcome was kind of inevitable, even, you know, before Bam Adebayo and, and Goran Dragic went out. If I learned anything from the series is that Jimmy Butler is a badass MFer. Like I kind of had him on a certain pedestal already. I, I had a lot of respect for him kind of being the guy in Miami and taking Miami as far as they did. Mm-hmm. But those two victories in this NBA finals, like the, the numbers he was putting up, and it was evident oh. in that final game that he was completely gassed at that point. I think anyone kind of, scrutinizing his game that night is, is just kidding themselves like any considering the performance he had in game five where the guy was literally keeling over like out of oxygen and then seeing him walk away from that post game post game press oh, conference where it was, he was humanizing was horribly yeah i was like dude like this is a guy i have a newfound respect for and i saw him in that uh seven game series with the toronto raptors uh you know which culminated in the shot thank god but he was one of the guys that i was like damn like i wish he was on my team i would ride with that guy any day of the week so i think a lot of basketball fans are now seeing jimmy butler in a different light they're looking at him as as a a leader one of the toughest guys in the association and hopefully somebody that can get this miami team back to the promised land it's going to be difficult you know the east is a lot is going to be a lot stronger next season than people realize, especially, you know, I'm not a Nets guy, but this is like one of the few basketball hats that fits me. Like Brooklyn's going to be back in the conversation next year with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They're going to be loaded. The Raptors are not going anywhere. Boston, Mm -hmm. Philadelphia with their new head coach. Like, I'm not sure if this is Miami's like one and only shot to do so, but when they have Jimmy Butler, I'm going to give them at least a, a little bit of hope. Yeah, and I think we're gonna get to we're gonna get to that. We get you yeah. know we 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 have some interest in seeing where what your thoughts are for the way too early um, thoughts on the East <laughs> next season. But one thing I will say is that before we pivot to Miami, I just want to say one thing. You mentioned that you know we talk about Anthony Davis as his top five player, and you know I was talking to Sean about this on one of our podcasts. How I think it's gotten to the point where if we talk about him as just top five. Are we sure we're doing him enough justice? We saw in game six how 
how unbelievable he is defensively on stuff that may not even show up on the stat sheet. I mean, he was doing Garnett type stuff, altering shots. Guys didn't want to go anywhere near the rim when he was around. So while maybe the numbers weren't there from game, you know, two and three onwards, we saw this blossoming of this defensive star, you know, that, you know, we all sort of knew was there, but on that stage was just more, had more, you know, more weight to it. When we talk about Anthony Davis as a top five guy, are we not giving him enough credit? Do you think that we should be talking about him as a top three guy? I mean, you can obviously make an argument. And now that he's a champion, he has a lot more pull in those debates. Like, True. I think when people talk point. about like the top five, I think the first three names that you go to are LeBron James, Kevin Durant. And then maybe Kawhi Leonard. I think he might have hurt his stock a little bit during this postseason. But there's like so many guys you can put in this conversation. James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah, when, mm-hmm. like Stephen Curry. When like yes. he's still a guy. Like yes. I know he was hurt, but he's still in the conversation. So I think with those number one and two spots kind of like signed, sealed, and delivered, and you can make an argument for a bunch of guys from for three through six or wherever you want to slot them. But Anthony Davis, like this is like one of, if not the best big man in the game today if you want to kind of do 1a and 1b with him and Joel Embiid for example and I kind of have Nikola Jokic as well in high regard especially especially after the playoff run he Mm -hmm. had but I think you know being in it with an organization like the Pelicans back in the day a team that not necessarily a lot of people watched it was just kind of like hearsay on Twitter like you kind of hear how great Anthony Davis is and he, he gets to the playoffs and it's usually like a one and done at that point. But now that he's in Los Angeles, one of the biggest markets in North America, he's playing for a marquee team like the Los Angeles Lakers. And you see him next to a guy like LeBron James. I see all of these sports talk shows saying, man, Anthony Davis might be the best player that LeBron James has ever played with, which is mm-hmm. high acclaim because this guy has played with some, some true greats like Dwayne Wade, for example, Bosch, you know, Kyrie Irving, guys like that. But Anthony Davis, yeah. Whether he decides to stick around with the Lakers long term, which I really hope he oh, does, that would be wild. That will be his. Team. That would be wild. LeBron ain't gonna be around forever. Although you know he could be at this point. That guy we might don't be know. He's a cyborg. <laughs> yeah, he, he's not human. I think we've established that. But if he wants to be the face of the Lakers for the foreseeable future, he's only gonna build his stock that much more. So I hope he sticks around. Even that badass Jimmy Butler that I know that you hold in high regard, my brother holds in high regard as well. I, I really respect him as a player. I I feel like he's got some nicks on his resume that can't be ignored. So I don't want to get into the Jimmy Butler conversation on that front. We've talked about it a lot, but it, they wanted no part of Anthony Davis. When Anthony Davis switched on to Jimmy Butler, they wanted he wanted no part of him. One of the baddest MFers in the league, as you said, and rightfully so, wanted no part of Anthony Davis guarding him. What what really jumped out to me was the role players. You know, we've been, everyone was going into this talking about the depth of the Miami Heat. And yes, we had a Duncan Robinson moment. And yes, you know, Tyler Hero had a couple of floaters while also shooting three-pointers off the side of the backboard, a la Paul George. So, and just, you know, Olenek had a couple of moments. But to me, the standouts were, was KCP for sure. Markeith Morris in, in a few bright spots and playoff Rondo. And that to me was, oh, and Crusoe. My apologies. I, you can't go a podcast talking about the finals without mentioning Crusoe. <laughs> it is the law. You have to follow the law. So that to me was the biggest underlying story of this was that everyone went into this saying that Miami depth was better. I'm not saying that they're wrong. They were hurt. But I think that we underestimated the, the Lakers' depth players. You know, Danny Green, uh, as well as Dwight Howard. I know he was pulled from the series, but the guy isn't like, 
you know, a, a minus, 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 he's probably below average. Were you surprised by the bench depth of the Lakers and how those those three in particular, Caruso, uh, KCP, and Rajon Rondo came to play? No, I wasn't the least bit surprised. I knew the moment LeBron James and AD kind of formed that dynamic duo in LA that so many other players were going to want to latch onto that train and take it right to the NBA Finals, which was the ultimate goal for that team. Uh, but the, the depth stepped up in a big way. Contavious Caldwell Pope, who's kind of been like a laughing stock on Twitter yeah. for so many years, stepped up and hit so many big shots. Alex Caruso defensively, very underrated in that regard. Markeith Morris, you know, although he had that blunder uh, where he just like threw yeah. the ball out of bounds. Yeah, yeah, I know. And then our boy Danny Green here in Toronto, who again wasn't on fire, wasn't the sniper like he should be from three-point range, but defensively he's an asset and he's still a guy who you need to account for on the three-point line. Like this this LA team was deep. LA team was deep and the thing between their depth and Miami de- Miami's depth was Miami's depth wasn't necessarily proven. They were putting a lot of stock into two guys who you hadn't really heard of until this point. Obviously Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. And those guys, under the bright lights of the NBA Finals, we didn't know how they were going to, you know, incorporate themselves into this Miami Heat offense. And they had their moments, to be fair. They they did certainly have their moments. But LA, I trusted their depth more so. And then again, when Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic got hurt, I, know. I put even more pressure on those young guys to kind of step up. And it ultimately didn't pay off. And that's why, you know, a, a guy like Jimmy Butler, he's a guy that I wouldn't count on to, like, take like put a team on his shoulders and take them i think he's a he's a guy that people can rally behind and that's when we saw the depth guys on miami kind of rally behind jimmy butler instead of just jump on his back and have him force their way to the nba finals with the lakers you know all of these veteran guys they've they've seen they've gone through this song and dance before so the end result was no surprise well and i think you mentioned a good point there and i think that's the point that matters is that the the lakers depth was filled with veteran players who had seen and done a lot in their careers. And on the other side with Miami, you know, obviously guys like Crowder um, have played in big games and things like that. But for, for Duncan and Tyler, it was just completely new to them. And when you play with LeBron and you play against LeBron, I mean, I, I can only imagine the level of locked in that those guys were to stop those guys. I mean, and, and someone like Rondo specifically took that. You could tell he took that personally. Um, with that said, I mean, I think we can pivot towards Miami. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about how impressive they were. And obviously, they deserve a ton, a ton of credit. To me, they were the best team in the East in the bubble. They completely deserve to be there. But what the thing I wanted to ask you about was, if you're Miami and you know anything about Pat Riley is that he more than ever now is going to smell blood and he's going to want to push all his chips into the center of the table. And I think that obviously he's, they're looking to be a Giannis suitor, but they're going to go for it. So I think what's going to be interesting, they're going to be an interesting team to watch this offseason, almost at this summer, this offseason heading into next year. And to give you guys a little bit of an idea of what their cap sheet looks like, it looks Jimmy's at 34, Iguodala's at 15, and then Hero and Bam – are at 3.8 and 5, 5 million respectively. And then they got a bunch of million-dollar contracts, and that's it. They also have Kelly Olynyk at a $12 million player option, which you have to think in this He's picking he's, that up. He's, he's picking, picking up, that man. up. So <laughs> that means – now, if I, if it were you, would you, A, run it back with your own free agent? So on maybe on one-year deals for Dragic, Myers Leonard, Derek Jones, Haslam Crowder, Solomon Hill. Or do you look at some of the 2020 free agents – 
and see if any of the players like Fred VanVleet, Gallinari, Joe Harris, or Abaka are fits there. Which way would you go? I've kind of been stuck in this mindset that we're not going to see a lot of movement this offseason. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of players, and I, I don't think it's because they don't want to go anywhere to like get out of their current situations with their current teams. I think it's just because of the global pandemic. I think it just makes a lot of sense to stick around, at least for one more year. I think we're going to see a lot of short-term deals with players, and we don't know even know how the cap's going to get hit. That's still kind of up in the air at this point. How much money are teams going to have at the end of the day? I think the end goal is still that 2021 free agent class, and there's a reason why you see like a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo being linked to a team like Miami you know, things aren't going well with Milwaukee. Maybe Miami's going to be a player. Like they they currently have the pieces in place, a lot of cheap contracts, a lot of guys that just got to the NBA finals and they have a secondary mm-hmm. all-star in, in Jimmy Butler. You have Pat Riley in the front office. And then when this global pandemic breaks, you're in South Beach, which is pretty damn cool. I think right. Miami set up super nice for the future. I wouldn't put all of their chips into the pile this off season. I think it's kind of just like, play it by year, kind of gauge the the field here, see what other teams are doing and go off of that. But 2021, that's when you really have to say, hey, we're going all in and, and we're going to try and get this team back to the NBA Finals. If they, hell, they could get back next year. But I think if they can get that secondary star, they'll put themselves above that crowded field in the East. Well, they but I think, I, go, I ahead, think, go ahead, Ian, go ahead. Yeah, with the, the cap, I think the cap, We don't obviously you're a thousand percent right. We don't know where it's going to land. But let's say for fun, they're at maybe about 20, 25 million in space. Could, could you see yourself splitting that money between a one-year deal for, deal for someone like Gallo and then a one who they had interest in the deadline and then a one-year deal for someone like Abaka who they kind of needed as a backup big to Bam because when I felt like Davis really crushed them when Bam sat, I mean, he was crushing them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you see that you, that you could see as like, Hey, this is an upgrade or if you're them, are you just really just waiting? Yeah, I would just, I'm just standing pat. You're going to get another year with, with, with your young guys. Like, like none, a guy I didn't even mention talking yep. about the finals. He had, he had a couple of really good performances, but you know, another year under their belt for Duncan Robinson and Tyler hero. I would just mm-hmm. bring the game back and, and see what comes from there. A lot of those guys that you mentioned, like Gabaka and Gallinari, I think they're going to be looking for longer contracts at that point. They're coming off really good seasons, and I think they yep. want to get locked up for the foreseeable future. So, again, 2021, a lot of big names in that market. I think Pat Riley is thinking long-term instead of just the short-term goals. Yeah, one of the other big storylines that came out of this was obviously the Goran Dragic injury and then him playing in Game 6. And, Chris, I'm, I'm going to throw it to you. I understand why, you know, galvanizing the troops. He's obviously at 75% better than Kendrick Nunn. So mm-hmm. there's that. And, you know, it, this game, this game six kind of reminded me of game, the two games that the Raptors played against the Celtics in that second round. I believe it was game one and game six, if I'm not mistaken, the two that they got blown out where early on it felt like they had all the looks they wanted. They just weren't going in. And Goran Dragic was a major part of that. He had a lot of looks when he was on the court that he would normally hit, and it just it just wasn't falling. You know, again, this is a make-or-miss league. As many times as you want to say it's a make-or-miss league, KCP and Rondo don't go off. This is a different game. All that being said, what did you feel about Dragic playing? Like, I know if you're the coach, and he comes to you and says, Coach, I'm good. Shoot my leg up with cortisone. Let me get in there. It's tough to put that aside in an elimination game. Did you feel it kind of 
disrupted something that Miami had? Or did you agree with the call? Oh, yeah. I was 100% on board with him being out there. I First of all, I just felt for the guy. Like yeah. seeing how emotionally yeah, was he was on the sidelines, just trying to get out there and participate in game five, in that the was the finals yeah. to the first place. Yeah. But when you're, when you're facing elimination against the Los Angeles Lakers, it's all hands on deck. And if you can go out there and prove to me that you can walk and you're not going to risk further injury to yourself, Goran Dragic's a guy you can't afford to sit at that point. Unfortunately, it didn't really matter if he was out there or not, because the Lakers were going to pulverize the, the heat, like a kidney stone, no matter who was out there, just because the entire team at that point was gassed. But I had, I had absolutely no problem with Dragic playing. I, I've, I've kind of said this about Dragic. He's such a pest. Every time I watched him play the, the Raptors during he the regular season. He kills us, He kills us. The Gerald Henderson Award for, for Goran yes. Dragic. He was <laughs> such a bad man. But I kind of, like, you know, Kyle Lowry was the guy that didn't get a lot of respect on NBA Twitter. But I think this postseason has kind of changed the perception from a lot of Lowry haters on that guy. I put Goran Dragic in the spot of, like, the Rodney Dangerfield of NBA point guards. Like this guy doesn't get a lot of respect and it's a damn shame. He wasn't out there for the entire NBA finals, because I think he would have definitely been an X factor for Miami and hell this series might've been extended to a seventh game or, or maybe even over a little bit sooner had Dragic been fully healthy, but that's neither here nor there, but cause it didn't happen. But again, Dragic a hundred percent, he needed to play and he did play. And I'm glad he got a chance to, to see some finals glory. So let's get out of the NBA finals. Because what's almost as interesting, if not more interesting now, is the offseason. And don't worry, Chris. We're not going to get into the GOAT debate. Okay? That's not what we're doing here on the From the Stands podcast. Oh, I'm always ready for that debate. We're not, we're not doing the LeBron <laughs> versus, versus Michael thing here. Okay? Like, they're both absolutely fantastic. They both are great in their own right. We don't need to do this. So, we're not going to. But what they can debate about is what's going on in the offseason and teams that we are interested in when it comes to what may happen come this offseason. So Ian has picked a team. I have also picked a team. We did not prep you. So please start thinking of a team that you're interested to see in the offseason. And you're going to go last. So don't worry. Ian, why don't you go first? Coming into this offseason, who are you most interested to see what they do and which direction they go in? Denver, to me, is by far the most intriguing team heading into the offseason. I think for the first time, they can really feel they have something set in stone, something really to build on in Murray and Jokic. Murray looks like he's finally blossoming into that big, terrifying guard that they drafted. And it looks like all of the work that he's done just sort of came together. So... Obviously, you know, he, I think the thing that shocked everyone was his layup package was just absurd. Some of the layups he was making were were Kyrie Irving-esque. They Jordan were incredible. So, and with one of them. Yeah. Ugh, unbelievable. So with Millsap coming off the books, Plumlee coming off the books, they're probably still going to be capped out because of the Murray raise that goes from $4 million to $29 million. Um, I, they owe all their second round picks until 2023. That to me doesn't matter, but they are first round pick neutral moving forward. They traded their pick to Oklahoma city for Jeremy Grant, but they brought one back in the weird Capella Malik Beasley Diop deal. That was all weird. That 14 mega deal. So they have Houston's pick at 22. So between all of their first Monty Morris, Torrey Craig, one of those guys, Gary Harris's salary, Will Barton, and potentially Michael Porter Jr., you have to think they can go out and get any star they want that becomes available in the next six months. So what about Bradley Beal? Does He's, he's the one. Does Harris, Barton, 
Porter Jr. and 22 at least get the conversation started there? You'd have to think so. Um, what if Philadelphia picks and beat over Simmons? Could they look at someone like Ben Simmons? What if Cat finally gets unhappy in Minnesota enough to want to leave, even though Minnesota traded for his BFF, which I think would be hilarious? You know, do, do they start sniffing around Devin Booker? Um, do they shoot smaller and shoot for like an Oladipo? What about Jamal Murray and CJ McCollum? Is that something that could work? You know, I mean, I think, and then you can look smaller guys like, you know, Zach Levine or even Chris Paul. So to me, I just feel like they have so many assets and they can pivot any way. And because their big guys are locked up, they have all this flexibility. So do you feel the same way? I think if there was ever a team that I think is just going to run it back, I think really? it's playoff run. Yeah, I don't think they're going to make any big splashy moves. I think this was like a coming out party for Jamal mm. Murray. I never mm. saw him being at like, I saw him as like an all-star tier, but then the way he performed in the postseason, especially with like these two, three, one comebacks, he's, he's a superstar now. There's no yes. denying it. And you have another superstar with Nikola Jokic. I think if they had a guy like Will Barton out there during the playoffs, like he was like a six man of the year candidate and they did mm -hmm. not have him because of injury. And again, I I, I kind of stick with my I'm sticking with my guns here, and I think that a lot of these teams around the association are just going to kind of stand pat, see what the the global pandemic takes us heading into the next season, and maybe field some offers, you know, make some phone calls. That's what any good general manager around the association mm -hmm. would do. But I think now that you've seen what Jamal Murray is capable of, and yeah, there's some depth pieces on Denver, you know, but like another like another year from Michael Porter. Uh, mm -hmm. who's looking, he might be an all-star one of these days. I think Denver is fine as is, and I think we're going to see them elevate themselves even more, just sticking with that core group. Well, and I think, you know, the, the swing piece, the reason why Denver interests me so much is because they they have such a great swing piece in Michael Porter Jr., where if you make him available, it automatically makes anyone else that could potentially be on the move, it makes any other GM pay attention and listen. because. His talent right. is that tantalizing and, you know, provided the back and all the other issues are ironed out or at least safe for a, a GM who's acquiring them. Uh, I think that he becomes sort of the, he becomes the wild card that I think the, that the NBA landscape will be, will be waiting on because if he becomes available, then you'd have to think stars become available. So yeah. I think, you know, I think you're right. I think you're going to see a lot of people standing pat, but if you're Denver and you're that organization, do you smell blood after going to the Western conference final? And do you double down on this roster? It'd be interesting to see. Yeah. It's like, but who are you going to package a guy like Porter with the guy's still making like minimum wage at this point. You'd have to mm -hmm. pair him with like a big contract to mm -hmm. even make the numbers work for a guy like Bradley Beal, who's making like far too much money as far as I'm concerned, but all the power to him. But yeah, Denver, I like just keeping, I think Michael Porter Jr. is going to be an all-star one day. I think they'd be crazy not to make him a consistent starter on that team. And you have like a three-headed monster with Murray and Jokic. Denver's going to be fine. Yeah. And to be fair, Barton, Harris, Porter Jr. And the 22 pick, Washington hangs up the phone. They shouldn't, but they will. If you see what stars went for last summer, I know we're talking to Anthony Davis, we're talking the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George package. They are not picking up that phone for less than multiple first round picks, Porter 
plus plus plus. Like it's just yeah. I mean, I think we're splitting. I think you're splitting hairs uh, at that point. I mean, you can add as many firsts as you want. To, you know, to your point, it's though, worth it, whether it's your, worth it becomes the problem. To your point, though, Michael Porter Jr. is is the X factor there. So that's why a lot of pundits and people like us that want to talk about sports look at Denver as a very interesting team. They have more holes to fill than at guard. So I think that you know they can they they need a power forward like really badly. This is kind of the Toronto Raptor syndrome from three years ago when they kept searching for one. And, you know, Patrick Patterson was the answer at one point. And, you know, the, I, I, no, I mean, he wasn't. Well, he wasn't. But and we're going to get to Patrick Patterson a little bit later on. But I think that they have more holes to fill. I agree with Chris. I think they are going to hold Pat. But I, I understand, Ian, with you, the Michael Porter Jr. piece is looming so large that no GM in the league for whatever star they have can hang up the phone. So there's no prospect with his value that could potentially become available. No. Yeah. No. I agree. You're so gonna, you're, you're going to want any team like you mentioned Washington with Bradley Beal. They're going to want anyone who offers them a trade for for Beal to mortgage their future. Basically, what Correct. the Clippers did with Paul George. Correct. A treasure chest, uh, like Oklahoma City getting a treasure chest of assets for this guy who came up short in the playoffs. Beal's or Washington's going to expect something similar, if not more so, for their franchise guy. So let's get to my team, and and I want to preface this. I put a lot of thought into this. I looked at the Thunder because they're a cap team. Gallo's, Gallo's coming up. They have more picks than literally the entire Western Conference put together. So I looked at them, but I didn't pick them. I looked at Dallas. They came out. They, they, they showed that Doncic is a first-team All-NBA, going to be a future MVP stud. KP is having another surgery. They have to fill in around the edges. I looked at them. You know, the 76ers obviously were an easy choice. But to me, I think, again, by bringing in Doc, I think they're going to try and make something work before before flipping. So my team is the Toronto Raptors. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't. I got to preface this. But to me, it has to be. The amount of holes that they're leaving right now, the assets that they have. So let's let's get to where they are because this this is important. Right now, their pending free agents are Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and Chris Boucher. Apologies to Malcolm Miller. I'm not mentioning you on this in this list. We know Marcus All's gone. Chris, we're, we know Marcus All's gone. Correct. Uh, yeah, if he hasn't already gone to Spain yet, <laughs> I think he's probably on his way out. Yeah. So we're not going to include him either. They need to fill a lot of space. They do not have any cap room. They have some, but mostly to sign their own players sitting at about 86 million for the upcoming season. And anyone that they would trade to try and improve the team is depleting a major asset off of their roster. Norman Powell, uh, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, like who you're trading to get better is depleting something that you need. So that's why they're the most intriguing to me. And I know they're intriguing to both of you. So I'm not going to do the round table. Instead, I want to do a game with both of you because we know that 2021 offseason is what they are looking at. We had Blake Murphy on Chris. We played a stay or go game. And everything that came out of it was they can all stay for all that the Raptors care, but they are not infe- they are not infecting their 2021-2022 cap by keeping them. Whether that's Ibaka, whether that's, you know, Fred Van Vliet was, was the only exception. So I'm going to throw out some free agent names to both of you. And I would love to get a quick 15, 20 seconds 
on if you think that they would be a fit given the current climate. Okay. Paul. Ian, I'm going to start with you. Paul Millsap. Yes. I think he would be a fit. I think I, but see, I'm biased because I love Millsap. So can you get Millsap for? Assume I, one year. Most of the guys I'm putting yeah, out are one, year, one year Of course it's one year. Yes. Can I get him for, you know, 3 million around there? You know, maybe one, maybe one, like the similar contract you gave Rondé, uh, maybe not as much money. No, think as, the veteran minimum. So be, you know, no, it, but as a bench guy, I, can, yeah. can he hang in your eight, nine men rotation? I don't see why not. Chris? I love that you mentioned Paul Millsap because I That's, think that, oh. I feel like he was linked to the Raptors like a forever ago. Yes, with the, the Hawks. <laughs> yes, he was. It would just be everything coming full circle. Paul Millsap finally finally comes to Toronto. Yeah, he'd be fine. I mean, defensively, he has a shortcomings. He's getting up there in age, and I don't know how much Nick Nurse would, you know, who's very defensive oriented, would trust True. him on that end. But if you can get 10, 15 minutes a game out of him, depending on it, again, if you can keep a guy like Serge Ibaka around for you know a couple years or at least one year like that would kind of diminish Paul Millsap's role at that point but yeah you get him on a sweet contract like that give him a short roll off the bench I have no problem with that to clarify I'm going through forwards slash centers right now and in this game Serge Ibaka does stay okay yeah yeah hey we did did it it, guys we did it Harry, (laughs) Harry Giles Ian I'm a little nervous about what the number is. And he's unrestricted because Sacramento declined his option. What are they doing? Um, Well, he hasn't played. He doesn't play basketball. Yeah, yeah, the injuries. I mean, he was the number one high school player X amount of years ago. And then injuries just completely derailed him. I mean, it would depend on what the number is. I have no problem taking a one-year low-risk flyer on someone like that. I think if any – I think – if I'm the Harry Giles type player, the Raptors are exactly the organization that I want to play for. They have a long-standing history of taking guys on one-year deals, reviving their value, and then when they go somewhere else, they get paid, a la Bismack Biombo. We've seen it happen. I mean, for every Biombo, there is a Jared Sollinger. Um, but I think the Raptors take on projects every year with the with the idea that, hey, come play with us. Will revive your value, and then you can go find somewhere, something somewhere else. Didn't necessarily work with Rondé and Stanley this past year, but I would take a look, but I wouldn't give a lot. Chris, yeah, Harry Giles is a reclamation project. He's a guy that Raptors Twitter is kind of infatuated with at this point. If you're if you're signing him to be a backup big, playing 20, 25 minutes a game, I think you're doing him a disservice. I think if he's someone that you want to stick in the 905 for most of the season, try and see what he can build up his game to and, you know, put him on the roster at some point. Maybe he has like this Chris, Chris Boucher moment where every like one, exactly every five to 30 games or so, this guy has like a, a breakout performance where he like mm-hmm. drops 12 in like 15 minutes. And you're like, oh my God, this is a guy that we should keep around for the next <laughs> five, seven years. I, I think that's fine for him. Mm-hmm. Don't sign him to be like your seventh, eighth guy off the bench. Okay. Speaking of backup bigs, Tristan Thompson. Chris, Are we you assuming go first. he's in the, he's going to decline that player option. I'm looking at as a full UFA. Oh yeah. The Raptors need some help on the glass. Uh, I think he might cost too much. Unfortunately, I think, I think he would be a really nice fit as like your backup center and maybe even your starter. If, if Marcus all isn't around, which a lot of us think he he's gone. It's always funny. You know, like you always like all the Canadians are always linked to Toronto. I always mm-hmm. say like Andrew Wiggins trade. Every freaking trade, man. I swear to God, if you're from Canada, you're supposed to be a Raptor for some reason, but 
Hell, Tristan Thompson, yeah, he would definitely fill a, a, a need for the Raptors, but I, I think he would cost too much at the end of the day. But yeah, the Raptors need some some help in the rebounding department, and he could certainly offer that. Really quick, I I don't disagree that he could help. And you're right, Sean. He is. It looks like he he's fully fed. Fully fed. The thing about Thompson, though, I don't want any of his mess. I don't want any of the Kardashian mess. I want no <laughs> part of your going. mess. I want no part of your mess. And I don't think, like, I think Tristan is a damn good player. I think when they brought in Drummond, he that did they did that was a disservice to every big they had in Cleveland. But I think I think Tom, championship pedigree, great rebounder, great energy guy. He's just the type of player that would mesh well with this edition of the Raptors. But I don't. I want no part of your mess. So I want no part of your mess. He'll he'll settle down with a nice Canadian girl from Guelph or something, and and he'll he'll be set right. Hopefully that he'll leave that Kardashian nonsense in the states. So I had Christian Wood as the final one. Ooh, but Ooh. he's going to cost. He's going to be too much to term. Is going to be the issue. And so I'm not. Yeah, that guy's have, never had security. That's what he's going to want. And so that that's why I'm not going to have him in there because he doesn't fit this model. Although I really like him, and Ooh, Detroit should do everything they can to keep him. So I'm going to throw a sentimental one for the last big on the board. Bids, Chris, bring him back. Loved the guy during the the Cleveland series, the Eastern Conference Finals, the block on LeBron James. Nice energy the foul, off the bench. The foul on LeBron James, you mean? Yeah, good I'm energy. still not over that. that. <laughs> also, yeah, don't. I like Christian Wood, but there's only one CW associated with the Toronto Raptors, and it's this guy. Okay, I'm not getting knocked down the peg <laughs> for Christian Wood. Bismack Biombo, though, ultimate fan favorite. I would love to have him back. Yeah. Me too. I mean, still has stone hands. I mean, I don't think you're ever going to change that. I mean, I mean, Abaka's hands have gotten better somehow, but there's still it still sometimes looks like he's playing with oven mitts. Uh, but I think yeah, as can Biz be your tenth guy? I mean, I don't see why not. Vet minimum and absolute most. Um, bring him well, back. He's, I mean, he's made enough money. Okay. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. You bring him back to the vet minimum, but he made that money because of the run he had with Toronto, right? So I think yeah, I, I would look at someone like Biombo as you know one of the last guys on your bench, and I think. You know, this, and, you know, we said this last year, so I don't want to doubt the Raptors, but if, if, if Fred Van Vliet leaves and goes to, we're getting there, Detroit, but let no, but let's just say, right. This could be a tricky year for the Raptors. So yes. having someone like Biombo, who everyone loves and the fans will love is a good thing. Okay. He's only a year older than Chris Boucher, which I just Wikipedia'd quickly. Which that I did. is absurd. <laughs> it's crazy. So I asked you all the questions. So we had Millsap, we had Tristan Thompson, we had Harry Giles, Christian Wood, we're not counting. We had Bismack Biombo. You guys were buy on Millsap. You guys were, if Harry Giles is going to be a reclamation project, that's fine. Uh, Tristan Thompson, you guys had some issues with, and Biz, you guys are both all in. I would target Tristan Thompson. I would also target Paul Millsap. I would not get both. I would have one or the other. I know Tristan okay. Thompson brings in rebounding, but I would go for a cheaper option at center to bring that type of off-the-bench mentality that you're looking for to just be a big body. I like Paul Millsap's leadership. I like his – I know he's not as quick anymore, but I like his versatility. And still uh, pass. I would have Harry Giles on this team. It, in, I would either have Boucher or Giles, not both. And Biz. Yeah, I would have Biz and they, Zap on. They need team. a they need a backup five, like definitely. Yeah. Like Gasol yeah. is definitely gone. We don't know what's yeah. going on with Ibaka. I'm not ready for the Chris Boucher experience just yet. Maybe I am not either from now. But I don't want him playing 30, 32 minutes a game. He, no. he he showed some spurts, but not yet. He's not ready for that role. Hey guys, Fred VanVleet just signed. He signed in Detroit. 
He signed for the max. Oh. He's gone. So now you have to scour the market and you have to find someone who's going to be either your starting, you know, Norman Powell now slides and you're starting two guard and you're looking for a backup point guard or a backup guard because then Terrence Davis can slide up, maybe take over a little bit more of the, of the ball handling mentality, take over the, that load. This but you need sad. It's making everyone sad. That's the point of the game. But you need a backup guard. So I'm going to throw some names out to you. And this one's going to make Ian really sad. So I'm going to start with him. Jeff Teague. Ugh. Oh, no. dude. No. Get him out of here. What are you dropping that? I'd rather have Terrence Davis. It's literally, but you need another point guard. I you would need rather, have, you don't I need would rather have Terrence Davis and draft somebody next. Yep. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Joe, Har- Joe Harris. He's not a point guard. No, but he's a guard. <laughs> so that's you sliding Terrence Davis up into that backup point guard. He's kind of winger to me. He's your 3-4 guard. Uh, he, he's a depth guy. He's like basically like a little bit better version of Matt Thomas, which you already have. He's just like a spot. He's a spot up shooter. I know Harris can probably do a little bit more, but he, I don't think he's worth what, what he's probably going to earn compared to like what you already have on the roster. You guys are he, just pissed because Fred signed to Detroit. Well, yeah, you what guys the hell, are just man. Beast. <laughs> You bring me on the show. You start talking about Fred Van Vliet leaving. You're, you're depressing me. The world's I'm already sorry. coming to it's an not, end. It's not me. It's Shams. Shams <laughs> just reported it. And by the way, I muted the, him now. The problem with Harris, the problem with Harris is, again, I, I, I think that they genuinely think they have an asset with Matt Thomas. The, the thing that Harris gives you is the size. Obviously, mm-hmm. he gives you the, he can play the three because of his size. Matt Thomas would get eaten alive there. Um, but again, I mean, you have to think he's going to command tongue. anywhere from eight to 12 million. I mean, yeah. if he's going out there, he's going to say, hey, what's the difference between me and J.J. Reddick? I was and thinking more in the J.J. Reddick 22 million a year for one year type of <laughs> role for Joe Harris. Like, we don't have anyone. We have cap space. We're not ruining. I'd rather year. develop yeah. my own guys. Yeah, hey. I'd rather just call up somebody or draft somebody. Yeah. Don't shoot the guy making the game. Just Too play late. the game. Okay. Too late, bro. <laughs> uh, I got three more quick ones. Okay. Goran Dragic. Because you know he's going to want term. He's kind of in that wood mold, especially after this. He would be a perfect fit on this team. But do you sacrifice 2021 for a Goran Dragic, Chris? At the risk of not pissing off my guest uh, when I'm recording the, the Walder Sportscast tomorrow, a good friend of mine, Will Segear, who's a Miami Heat lifer, and he's a big Goran Dragic <laughs> fan, I'm going to respectfully pass on the Goran Dragic conversation because if I say he comes to Toronto, he might not want to do the show with me anymore. <laughs> I know he's probably going to check this out. So, yeah, I will uh, send it off to Ian here. He can do it for me. To me, I, I mean, he's an obvious target. I don't think the multi-year deal to sacrifice 2021 would be a prudent decision, no matter what happens with Van Vliet, because I think you spent all this time remaining strong in – Everything that has to do with 2021, you gave Kyle Lowry one year deals, Abaka, you know, you made sure that everything was lining up for that season to, to change course. Now it's just not like the Raptors. If Dragic comes, it's on a one year deal, but no. yes, I would look at, at, you know, stalling the development of Davis Thomas for someone like Dragic going to come and help you win for someone yes. like Harris, who's Ken maybe redundant more. Oh, Jeff T gross. Like I I'd rather just have my own guys. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Kent Bazemore was going to be one, but we... if I need someone to wave the towel, Kent Bazemore is no, a big stop energy. It. Yeah. Yeah. No, let's go. No, he would be great as, as a, as a ninth man. He would be a nice, nice piece on this team as a ninth let's man. Not, let's not, let's not get carried away. He's got some length. Great. 
as in his role, not great in general, in that role, he would be a good piece. But I'm not going to go there. I'm going to try. Let's try and make this a little bit more upbeat. We're in San Antonio. Okay. And no, I don't want DeJounte Murray. Mr. Popovich comes to a man from Compton and says, are you opting in for your player option of 2020-2021? And Mr. DeMar DeRozan says, no, I'm not, Mr. Popovich. I'm going to test the waters. Do you accept DeMar DeRozan back on a one-year deal? Again, this is very pie in the sky, but do you welcome DeMar DeRozan, the all-time Raptor before Lowry was the all-time Raptor, Chris Walder, back into your arms, open and wide? All right, I'll play along with it because this is your show. But <laughs> look, I've been through the whole DeMar DeRozan experience, and I know what the Raptors' peak is when him and, and Kyle Lowry are the team's one-two punch. The offense on this team is not the issue. It's everything else that could be be fixed. The Raptors could score in bunches, and that's what DeRozan does very well. It's like getting back with your ex-girlfriend. You know how that's going to end because you've already been there, done that, mm-hmm. and it ended horribly. And I love I love Demar, you know, considered one of the all time great Raptors and ultimate fan favorite. It would be great if he came back to Toronto for like a short stint, like you're implying, like a one year deal. But he doesn't make the Raptors better. And I think at the end of the day, I have faith in Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster, that every move that they do, it's like moving chess pieces on a board. They're doing it so they can get the Raptors back to the NBA Finals. And I think right. with Demar Derozan back on the team, albeit on a one year contract, you're kind of limiting their ceiling. I agree with you 100. percent By the way, so I, I was just—it's one of those things with Demar. To your point, you know exactly what you're getting. Exactly. I just—I would not have him back on my team. I wouldn't. With all due respect to Demar, I wouldn't. If I'm trying to win a title, there's not a lot of there isn't a team that I would pick to put him on personally. Mm-hmm. And it's not disrespect to his game. He's incredible. He was great in this city, great in this community. But I'm sorry, I I, I brought him up more so as a pie in the sky to see if. Potentially, you know, Raptors Twitter and Walder and Ian, super fans would be like, you know what? Give me back my Damar. I miss him. I'm glad that you guys have come to this, is that this is not what this team needs. Um, Ian, final thoughts on uh, on the guards before I round this off and, and switch us to our final segment. So the one thing about the Raptors right now is that if Van Vliet goes, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a big – you're going to see a big – pivot to player development and developing their own players. The problem with bringing someone like DeMar in, even though I love him, you know, other than the, 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 what, you know, what you and Chris are saying about, you know, you know, your ceiling, you know what it is. I I'm with all that. My main concern with it is that I, other than, other than, you know, making sure that you're competing, your main concern is developing Pascal Siakam. You just paid him the max. I do not want the Absolutely. ball getting taken from yeah. him yep, to to get DeRozan shots. I would rather use that time to work with Siakam. I'd rather use that time to work with my young guys, Davis, Thomas, Watson, like O'Shea, whoever you draft, like that's what I'd rather spend the time on. So I would rather have mad scientist Nick doing stuff for them, getting them those shots. And what you hope is that the same development you saw Van Vliet take, you hope that one of those other guys can get to that level too. So I think the focus, if, if you can't run it back with Fred, the focus needs to turn to, we are not tanking. 
We realize that tanking hurts our chances of getting anyone good. In but we like our players. We want to develop yeah. our own players. And hey, if we actually develop our own players and continue doing what we're doing, we may find another gem in here. You know, I know uh, Blake loves Watson. And, you know, I, I think there's something there. You watch him and there's something there. Why not see? So that's the direction I think they go. So let's let's transition here. We threw out a lot of names. Again, this is with the depressing moment that Fred Van Vliet signs in Detroit. Okay. Which it's a shame no one's going to see him play in Detroit. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It's it might I think it might have been a fake Shams account that sent that out right now. But either way, either way. I would personally, again, I, I know I wanted to throw to you guys, but I personally would look at a swing piece like Harris or Bertans to see if you can get him to come at at some number, regardless, uh, obviously on a short-term deal. But let's get to the final segment here, which is normally quick hitters. But we have a bit of an amendment to it, Chris. And the reason we have that is it's going to be a little bit longer than our regular segment of quick hitters, but it's going to be our way too early 21, 2021 prediction blended into the hitters. So we're going to start here. There are odds out for the 2021 season. As you can probably imagine, the LA Lakers are favorites at plus 400, Clippers plus 450, the Bucks are plus 800, Golden State plus 900, the Celtics and Nets at 12 to 1, Miami Heat 14 to 1, our Raptors at 16 to 1, followed by Denver, Houston, the 76ers and Dallas we all better odds than Denver. All in that 20 to 25 to 1 We're range. Yes, we do. True. We do. So what that tells you by breaking that down by Vegas is that Vegas now again, this is not an exact science. Vegas puts lines up that they feel People, they want to be on both sides of the coin. Vegas wants to not lose money. They want to make sure that they're evening things out. So fan bases like Boston, Philadelphia, even Toronto on the site that I use are going to be boosted because they know they're going to get a lot of money on the yes side. They're going to be, they're going to be slimmer because they're going to get a lot of money on the yes side. But that leaves Toronto at fifth. It shows Milwaukee in first in the east, the Celtics and, and Nets battling for second and third, the Heat at in fourth, and the Raptors in fifth. Before we jump into the Ian's hitters on the early predictions, Chris, is that how you see things shaking out? If all things being equal, everyone comes back. I have I have no problem with like preseason like betting odds or preseason rankings because it, it takes me back to like those tweets I would constantly send out, like the Dennis Scott, Sam Mitchell predictions where they didn't even have the Raptors like making the playoffs. And then and ultimately they had the second best record in the entire NBA. Yeah, I'm totally fine with Toronto being fifth, but I think the Eastern Conference people kind of underestimate it in terms of in terms of its like top tier strength. And now that Brooklyn's back in the mix with Durant and Kyrie Irving, there's such a question mark. They could they could end up getting out of the East and making the NBA Finals and just their like first year together. So I think like the top six teams in the East have a reasonable claim to saying, "Hey, we can get we can get to the NBA Finals. We're the top dog in this conference." So you put anyone one to six, it's not really surprising. I think it's going to be a toss up when it's all said and done. I agree with you 100. percent And I think the bigger slap in the face was the Raptors being in the two early predictions on ESPN at 11th and like three or four spots behind the 76ers. That to me yeah. was crazy. The Don't only thing words. I will say, let's pump the brakes on Brooklyn for now. For now, Kyrie Irving just said that him and Durant don't need a head coach. So <laughs> let's see where they are. And by the way, Durant busted his Achilles. And we've yeah. seen how catastrophic that can be for athletes. This isn't an ACL 
where you know we, we've perfected that science. I think we need to see. Now, could Durant, even on a bum leg, do his best old man Dirk impression? I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay. But let's just see. Let's, let's just see. Let's okay. see. And speaking of let's see, let's see some coaches that are going to be in a chair. So let's start here. Chris, I'm going to throw out four names. You can pick one or pick all four. Who will be the coach of the following franchise? Houston, the Clippers, Indiana, and New Orleans. Uh, Ty Lu is going to end up with the Clippers. I think he's going to be their head coach. Uh, Indiana. Who was it? It was Indiana, Houston, uh, Pal- and New Orleans. Houston, New Orleans. I think Mike D'Antoni, surprisingly, is going to end up in Indiana. Mm. I think. Love that fit. I I do like that fit. I'm try, I'm like drawing a blank on, on some of the names. So yeah, Doc Rivers ended up in, in Philly, obviously. Stan Van Gundy uh, was rumored to the Pelicans today. I, Correct. Stan Van Gundy. I, I I like him so much on Twitter. I almost don't want to see him coach. I know. Me yeah, too. Me too. Him, me Jeff, too. Stay away from our guys. Uh, you know what? I think Jeff Van Gundy is going to end up with the Rockets. Okay. And the Pelicans. Ooh. I would because I would have liked Ty Lue with the with the with the Pelicans as well. Tyloo's a guy who could just put on to any team, and I would trust that they would be a playoff contender, if not coach. more so than that. Uh, Pelicans, uh, it's it's a toss up at this point. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm drawing a blank on who's available, but uh, yeah, it could be. I'll, we'll make Zion a, a player coach for the Pelicans. Let's put a, a throw him into the fire. Let's see what you got. I love kid. It. <laughs> I, to me, if you you know, to me, I know you're not asking me, but I think that. Lou, that Houston is going to do whatever they can now, even though their owner doesn't have any money. I think they're going to swipe Ty Lou from, uh, I think they're going to swipe Ty Lou from the Clippers. I think the Clippers are going to maybe have to look at Sam Cassell. I think, I think this New yeah, Orleans Van Gundy thing is too perfect with Stan. Um, and then with Indiana, I, I don't, I think they're going to go outside the box. I think they hire an assistant or they hire someone like Chauncey. So we'll see. And it's about time Becky Hammond got an opportunity to be also a very true. I like her in Houston. Very true. Her and uh, her in Houston, she'd have some personalities to deal with, but she could she could hold she it down. She's a very capable uh, coach in this league, and I think her her time will come. I don't think it'll be one of those roles. Uh, but Stan Van Gundy, yeah, you've sold me, man. I think yeah, Stan Van Gundy to the Pelicans. Why the hell not? I'll miss his tweets. I'll miss his tweets. Oh, he's and so he's good. great in the booth. Yeah, he is. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, next one. Which of the following stars is first to move? Oladipo, Beal, Embiid, or Chris Paul? Uh, Oladipo. He wants out of Indiana. I think they're going to do whatever it takes to kind of get what they can for him. And Embiid's sticking around. They have a new head coach, and they're going to do everything that they can to make that Ben Simmons, you know, dynamic duo work. Bradley Beal, his contract is going to be a pain in the ass to move. And uh, who? Uh, Chris Paul, uh, I think Oklahoma City would be – better suited to try and move him he's not a part of their long-term plans but at the same time they found so much success with him you know him and, and Shea Gilgis Alexander he can kind of fill that mentor role it's just a matter of True. if Paul wants to serve that purpose this late into his career without a championship to his name Chris you've just transformed into Elton Brandt Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons walk into your office and say this is a Kobe and Shaq moment we hate each other we're never playing together pick one who are you picking to keep on your team and who are you trading Ben Simmons, 100%. It's not even a question. Joel Embiid, I have... I mean, they both have injury concerns. It is what it is. But if Ben Ben Simmons, God bless his heart, if that kid ever develops a three-point shot or any semblance of an outside game, he's 
he automatically jumps into like the top five players in the association conversation. He's so sound defensively. He can get to the basket at will, but no one takes him seriously as a jump shooter or a three point shooter, but that could, that could change. He just needs to kind of, you know, push himself to put that into his repertoire, which he hasn't done to this point. And who knows if he ever will, but if he does that, he becomes like a LeBron James light. And LeBron ain't going to be around forever. I, I, I know we joke about him being the cyborg and, and whatnot, but Ben Simmons, he could, be in that conversation for the best player in the game. So Joel Embiid, I like him. He's one of, you know, 1A, 1B in terms of the best bigs in basketball, but you can't lose a guy like Ben Simmons. I am completely with you. Last one before we we pivot to standard hitters here. Which young player in the NBA could leap to the all-NBA scene in 2020, 2021, similar to the way that Luka Doncic did it this season? Is it is it a cop-out if I say Jamal Murray? No. It is not. No. I, I'm going. I'm going with Jamal Murray. My my initial inkling was Shea Gilgis Alexander. Ooh, but Jamal Murray. I'm I'm a believer. That playoff run was just unbelievable. I think and it's real. Gonna, yeah, it, that's you don't fluke your way to performances like that. Maybe when he gets back into a, an arena with actual fans and actual atmosphere, maybe some of that will fall off. But this was no this was no fluke on on his part. He's catapulted himself into the top names in the game and he's going to be an all NBA guy next year. Like I'm fully confident in that proclamation. Made it to the real hitters, Chris. Let's start here. Today is the 23rd anniversary of the first time stone cold. Steve Austin stunnered the rock. What is your all time favorite stone cold, Steve Austin stunner? It's it's WrestleMania 18. Scott Hall had the dumbest sell for the Stone Cold Stunner. I swear that guy was flying when he took those bump at bumps. And you know what? He he sold it a lot better than he delivered it because during that build-up to that match in Toronto, he was dropping Steve with some stunners of his own, and they were goddamn awful. I but was when there. When he took the stunner, I think he took one, and then he kind of like floated, and then he took another one, and then he just like flew back like this. The ultimate... Stone Cold Steve Austin sell that wasn't The Rock. The Rock took it better than anybody because yep, I've always did. read stories about how him and, and Steve would have like bets and, and it would be over beer about how he could sell the Stone Cold Stunner during some of their matches. The Rock is on a level of his own, but Scott Hall is, Scott Hall is not far behind. Do you have a favorite, and this is a follow-up on that, do you have a favorite Stone Cold Rock moment that isn't the Stunner? Uh, I was actually just watching it today on YouTube. It was when they were doing, uh, they were on Monday Night Raw. I think it was when Steve was was in the Alliance and it was the build-up to Survivor Series when it was like the winner-take-all match. And they were both in the ring and they were singing uh, Margaritaville. Uh, they were just going back and forth on the mic like that. And then they both, they, they both like high-fived, they held their hands together and then The Rock was like, The Rock will never, ever forget. And he dropped them with a rock bottom. It was, it was such a perfect segment. It was entertaining. The top two guys in the mm-hmm. industry being, being able to just joke around like that and still cut like a semi-serious promo heading into such a, like a monumental match. So yeah. yeah, those guys had so many great moments. The Invasion era when he stunned everybody was fantastic. But oh, yeah. I think my favorite was uh, Austin coming in the ring with a chair to hit the rock and then put mankind on top so he could win the title. That uh, yeah. it still gives me it gives me chills to watch. That's a good one, Ian. Let's go to the next one. On a scale of one to ten, one being the lowest, ten being the highest. How concerned are you about the Masai Ujiri and Raptor situation right now? One, 
Not, really? Not the least bit worried. Wow. I, I see so many I need many to talk to you more out. often. Oh my god, I've been freaking out. I see I see so many people freaking out about this guy not having a new contract in place. I gen- I genuinely believe that this guy is more concerned with having everybody else locked up before he worries about himself. And God forbid if this guy ever decides to leave Toronto, I don't think it's going to be for another team. I think it's going to be for some of his efforts away from the gang, you know, the Giants of Africa and whatnot. I think he's going to focus more of his attention there. Uh, you know, winning the championship, that could have been like his farewell call, like his curtain call at that point. I don't think anyone would have held it against him. But he's Masai Ujiri. He's the one who kind of built this team into the contender you see today. I hope he sticks around, but I'm not the least bit worried about him leaving because I don't think it would be to like a Knicks, for example. Other than the OG buzzer beater, what is your favorite NBA moment from the bubble in Orlando? The Luka Doncic shot that uh, beat the Clippers. That was an awesome moment. I was rooting for Kawhi. I was rooting for the Clippers. I had total faith that they were getting into the finals. But then when Luka hit that shot and they were missing Chris Tapp's Perzingas, I'm, I'm such a fan of the underdog. I was rooting for Dallas to kind of pull through in that series. But that was kind of like a sign at that point that the Clippers were in a world of hurt, that they were struggling with the Perzingas-less Maverick. Perzingas-less, that's, that's easy to say, uh, Dallas Mavericks. So the Luka Doncic shot was awesome. Um, and also game six between the Raptors and Celtics. I think that was an all-time classic oh. between those guys, the overtimes, like the shots that were made and all of the love that Kyle Lowry was getting on Twitter for his performance. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, you got some playoff pal in there, too. It was just phenomenal. Um, Man, that Doncic shot was wild, though. That was definitely like, I am here. I am an All-NBA guy. Uh, That's what that was. Um, Other than Jimmy Butler, which NBA bubble performer changed the perception of their game most? This can be positive or negative. So, um, you know, for, for example, someone like Siakam, obviously on the negative scale. Who would you have? Uh, I, I've said his name like a billion times. Jamal Murray is one. Unfortunately, Siakam, for the reasons you just kind of stated, he had a really bad mm-hmm. bubble run. I don't think that's going to carry over into like his future with the team. I think he's going to bounce back in a, in a big way. I think kind of like his lack of like, he, I don't think he was physically or emotionally ready to kind of deal with this whole bubble play. But I think once we kind of get back into the swing of things, I think he'll be fine. Um, for everybody else, uh, I'm just like running through the teams in my head right now. Yeah, I mean, Jamal Murray was the big one who kind of just elevated himself into like a top tier guard in, in the league. Mm-hmm. I think everyone everyone else kind of maybe maybe the Clippers. The, the thing with Paul George is that he's been kind of like, you know, playoff P all this all this crap. This guy has yet to like such bullshit ever since he was with the Pacers. And he had like those games against the Miami heat where like him he wasn't even the best player on the team. Like what do you (laughs) on the, on those Indiana teams? Like, this is crazy. We know who the playoff P is. It's Norman Powell, Paul George. (laughs) And that's why I like, when we were talking about the teams there, I was like ready to like bring up the Clippers because I don't know if they're going to like, what their roster is going to look like next season. Like, I think Montrez Harrell is gone. I don't know if they're going to start swinging some like trade suggestions for Paul George because they're on like a limited like window with one year this, this team that they have. Like, th- people could be optimistic as they want and say, like, Kawhi and Paul George are sticking around. Man, you, when you blow a 3 1 lead in the playoffs like that, and if you don't come back in a big way, they have to win the championship next year. I think anything less than that, you're going to see some big changes. And I think one of them, or if not both of them, will walk. Okay, well, I the- think if you're the if you're the Clippers, though, you have to bring back guys like Morris and um, Harold because you just mm-hmm. don't have a choice. Harold ain't coming back. Didn't you hear on Raptors Twitter he's coming to Toronto? Oh, please. Well, <laughs> and, and to that end, we actually skipped what team interests you the most. 
in this off season, but uh, you've been so generous with your time already. Is, do you just want to throw a name out really quick before we get to the last two? It's the Clippers. I want to see what they do with their roster. If they're going to stand pat, which I think they are because they'd be crazy to make drastic changes at this point, but it wouldn't surprise me either. I remember like the introductory press conference where Steve Ballmer was like sweating all over himself and how giddy he was with having this roster together. And then for them to bow out of the playoffs the way they did, that's uncalled (laughs) for. Like literally you had like the strongest team on paper and you were like talking so much game about how you were going to take out the Lakers and you were going to be the new team of Los Angeles. And then you got marketing campaign of like street lights over bright lights or whatever bullshit they were talking about. Yeah, you blow a 3-1 lead. You're going to be, that's going to be a joke we're going to be seeing for years and years and years. So you need to do something big next year. So I think a lot of that comes down to some of the guys that we mentioned, like Morris and Harrell, if they're going to stick around and how badly a Kawhi Leonard and Paul George really want to make this work. They're not necessarily leaders. And we saw that when Kawhi was in Toronto, Kyle Lowry was the leader of that team. Kawhi Leonard was just the best player. So we'll see how the Clippers kind of respond. Hey, Chris, two more. Break this tie. Ian says the best big in the East is Bam Adebayo. I say that it is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Ian responds by saying that Giannis is not a big. Your thoughts, and please break this tie the right way. Giannis is a big guy, but I wouldn't characterize him as a big. Oh, my God, Chris! I would characterize Giannis as a wing. He's a very big wing. He plays like a wing. He's a very... He's not playing with his back to the basket a lot. He's driving to the back. Bam is more of like your prototypical big man. Like he's he's wor- working his best game around the basket. He's working at the rim. He's a defensive monster around the rim. Like you're right. Giannis, Giannis think- doesn't finish at the rim or no, no, play no. great defense or do things big men does. Well, would you consider Durant a big? Would you consider Durant a big? No. No, Durant. I wouldn't consider Durant no, right. a big. Durant I would consider him a big guy who plays like plays. Like I agree. Win. Okay, so you're siding with Ian. Yeah, I would say when I when I hear the word big man, it, it's so weird because I kind of go back to like the '90s when I when I first became a basketball fan. Right. And I'm thinking of like okay. Hakeem Olajuwon we'll con- and Shaquille O'Neal. We'll condition those you, guys right? don't exist anymore. Yeah, look, you're you're both right in your own way. It just comes down to how do you look at it as a fan. For me, I've never seen Giannis as a big. I see him as a wing. So if you're looking at bigs. I would say Bam Adebayo, like Joel Embiid, guys like that would be in that conversation. Bam Maybe Pascal Siakam to a lesser extent. Bam's so- shorter than LeBron. I just, it's just so uh, let me. It's not about height though. And so to me, so so is Bam the best big in the East? Uh, he would, in my opinion, he's the second best big. I would have Joel, Joel Embiid ahead yeah. of him. Okay, yeah. See, see, he showed me so much. Bam did, and Joel showed me so much on the negative side. I think if if we're talking about a player that who hurt himself negatively based on his performance, Embiid would be very high on that list. Well, he didn't have Ben Simmons, unfortunately. Like, true. dude, you lose a guy of that caliber. There was only so much Joel could do at that point. Yeah, true. Uh, okay, last one. Be honest. If the Raptors were playing the Lakers in the finals, assuming they were able to get through Boston and Miami, which is a big if because of how drained we look in game seven versus Boston. Do we send that series to seven or do we win? I would have, honest to God, I would have said the Raptors in six. Over the Lakers. I, over the Lakers. I think the, the it's written in the stars. Like it would have just been so perfect to finally like get LeBron again in the playoffs. And the Raptors played them very well. Yeah, they did. Defensively during the regular season. Yep. And sometimes with some key guys in the lineup. You know, I probably would have come to eat those words because I think a lot of it was like destiny on the Lakers part. I hate to bring up like a a guy like Kobe Bryant's name, but I think like 
the Lakers were motivated to kind of do it yeah. for Kobe, do it for a fan base that had been through so much emotional turmoil mm-hmm. ever since his passing. And just through like so much change in the organization, I think they would have had that going for them. But at the end of the day, in terms of just like a straight basketball matchup, if the Raptors weren't like, didn't have oxygen tanks strapped to their backs and they were as close to 100% as possible, I honestly would have picked the Raptors. Well, Chris, we kept you 20 minutes longer than, than you allotted us. We really appreciate your time. Always love having you on. We want to have you on again, Chris. Thank you so much for coming on. The host of the Walder Sportscast and legend on NBA Twitter, Chris Walder. Chris, thanks so much. Hey, thank you guys for having me. And it's it's totally fine that you kept me longer than I said, because you know what? My girlfriend's out there. She might still be watching The Bachelorette. So it's all good, guys. <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, brother. Ian, we just finished with Chris. It was a long one. He was generous with his time. So we wanted to get a little bit, a little bit into what the Leafs have been doing. And we want to keep this short because we wanted to give Chris as much time as needed. And it was really entertaining. A lot to dissect. But let's break down a little bit of what the Leafs have done. Since the Columbus series, out the door of people that played in that series, Kasperi Kapanen, who was traded, Andreas Janssen, who was traded, Kyle Clifford, Tyson Berry, and Cody Ceci, all gone. Who they brought in? TJ Brody, Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian, Jimmy Vesey, Joey Anderson, Travis Boyd, and just now they brought in Aaron Dell to be their third goaltender. Nico Lettinen was brought over from the KHL, and Spezza re-signed. Give me your quick thoughts on the Leafs because we have Kevin Papetti coming on the podcast next week to dissect everything Leafs. So we're going to get to a lot of that. But I want to get your quick initial reactions to this. I think the team is objectively better now than they were at the end of the Columbus series. I think that part is clear. To replace CC with TJ Brody, that is, I'm sorry, that's an objective upgrade. To replace, um, to replace, Janssen with someone like Simmons, it's a different look, but for what they're doing is an objective upgrade. So, you know, these are things, you know, bring it back. Spezza was good. Um, I think, you know, some of the depth guys I even like, these are, these are upgrades. They are going in the right direction. They are better today than they were at the end of the season. With that said, do not get complacent. There is still lots of work to do. There's still salary to shed. And frankly, if we walk into next season, with the roster as constructed, I'm not convinced we've seen enough of turnover in that regard. I mean, we still got to figure out what we're going to do, what we're going to see with Travis Dermott. Uh, McKayev's another one. So we're going to have to wait there. Those are going to be names that are going to be interesting to follow. I think Dubas still has things to do, but this is all good news so far. But Kyle is not out of the woods yet. He needs to deliver. Yeah, and... and- you know, your point, you've mentioned this before. They need to be versatile. They weren't last year. They had a lot of redundant players on their team. You mm-hmm. know, the Kerfoot, Kapanen, Janssen, third line that they were paying $10 million to was redundant. They did, or they were supposed to do the same things that the first two lines did. So I think that what they've done is they have diversified their lineup. They have made themselves, quote unquote, tougher to play against. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Bogosian fan as a player, but what he's going to bring is he's going to bring his big ass stick into your little ass teeth. That's what he's going to do every single shift. Um, I like the Brody signing. 
I do. Uh, I, I, and please, please let him play with Morgan Riley. Or if he isn't going to, please don't let it be Zach Bogosian. Please, please. They have too many defensemen on their team. We, I never thought that we would say this, but they do. They have too many NHL defensemen. Miko Lettinen is, is going to play for this team. He is. He was the KHL defenseman of the year last year. They believe that he can play. They bring in these players from Europe because they know that they can get playing time. It happened with Ozhiganov. It happened with Zaitsev. It happened with Mikheyev. It's going to happen again with Lettinen. He can play oh, the right think, side. Hey, with Ozhiganov and he, Zaitsev, they, they, they shouldn't have played. They were bad. Yeah, no, I know. Now, Saitsev was good in his first year, and but that's why they do that, is they give them playing time so that they can get the best of the best from overseas. So I'm interested to see what happens. They're over the cap, so it, it, this isn't the end. If they wanted to start the season right now, they could. What interests me is kind of what you said is, they have they changed their team enough? And I think that that is a bit of a hint to the fact that they haven't changed their core four of Tavares, Marner, Nylander, and Matthews. And that's going to be the interesting thing because you can bring in all the Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosians, Jake Muzzins, and Jason Spezza's in the world. If those four, and I'm going to leave Tavares out of this, if the three young ones won't change and listen and adapt their style, does it really matter? I think we saw Matthews adapt his style in the playoffs against Columbus, but it's going to be interesting to see. The Leafs aren't done, and... From what I'm hearing, with all the defensemen that they have, Chris Johnson said on the Steve Dangle podcast that you and I very much you know, are, are fans of, that he wouldn't be shocked if it ends up being Brody and Muzzin and that they go get another defenseman to play with Riley by trading Dermot and Hall. Yeah, so my, gonna be my guess is that Dermot is going to go. I think that, you know, I, I think Dermot is sort of, Dermot is such an anomaly. He, he's so tough to figure out. He's so tough to figure out how he fits. What is his role? What should he play? You know, there are moments you think, okay, he has to be a top four guy. And then your other times you're like, why is this guy not with the Marlies? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I think for everyone out there is like, oh, you know, Zach Bogosian, I think he's going to be your seventh defenseman. I, I, I mean, there's going to be a lot of nights he's in the press box. You paid him nothing. I, I, you have nothing to lose on nights when you feel like you need some toughness. He is going to be able to provide that for you. So, I wouldn't stress on if you're a Bogosian fan or not, his role is going to be limited in that matter. I think, you know, all of the guys that we've talked about with the except with the exception of Brody, who's a genuine top four guy, great in his own zone, is just objectively a really good hockey player. Of all the other guys, what he's done is sort of they're all really depth pieces. So, you know, from Bogosian, is it five to eight to ten minutes a night? Is it 15 minutes a night from Simmons? Are those is you know is 25 minutes from those type of players enough to change the out the way that your team plays and change the fabric of which your team is constructed and, and how they play? Because the problem isn't that, you know, Zach Bogosian or Wayne Simmons aren't tough enough. The problem is they can't put their imprint on the game, similar to the way Kyle Clifford was, because they don't play enough. So I think what you need is someone in a more prominent role which Simmons could be provided he's healthy, someone in a more prominent role changing the way that the top six plays or the yep. top four D plays. That's what you're going to need to see. So that, that to me is how it's fixed and when it starts to be fixed. So it's still work to be done. Well, let's get out of here on this because it, just to amend one of your points, Bogosian is not going to be the seventh defenseman. The, you don't sign here with 
at that term, at that number, without assurances that you're going to play. So my guess is at worst, he's going to be on the bottom pair most nights, unless he does not perform, which I'm not sure that I he mean, will. I mean, he's and, six and seven. Does it, I mean, it's it, well, it, does, it, it matters a little bit because, again, they he's going to play. Um, there is a logjam there now. Like, where is Rasmus Sandin fit into this? They've wanted to send him to, he, you know, they had an option to send him to Europe so he could play, but they decided not to because they want him to be a part of this roster. So I expect a couple more moves here. They're going to have to make a couple more. And at the end of the day, this team is going to go as far as that top four takes them. But what Dubas has done is he has at least on paper, which he has done a lot, is on paper make this team better on the back end. So I'm interested to see what happens. There's going to be a lot that happens in the next week when we have Kevin on next week. I'm really excited about it. Ian, sign him off because this has been a long one, but it's been a good one. I want to thank Chris Walder again for coming on. I'm I'm just staggered by him. He's so kind with his time. Uh, he's so helpful for us as, as two newbies getting into the industry a little bit. So uh, I want to thank him and just want to let him know and let followers of his know how much we appreciate him and his work. Um, we're big fans of his, so we're lucky that, uh, that he comes on and, uh, and, and indulges us for, for an hour every once in a while. Um, thank you to you all for listening. Appreciate your support. Again, make sure you are checking out our social media feeds because we are going to be having contests again. We're going to make sure that uh, we give away some free stuff to you guys as much as possible. Uh, check us out for that. And always, as always, wear your mask. We love you.